Welcome to War Stories. I'm Preston Stewart, and this is a show where we talk about America's military history through the lens of individual acts of heroism and valor. Enjoy. We continue our focus on the Battle of the Bulge today, where German armor would really lead that fight. And it fell on the Allies then to figure out how to stop them any way possible at the right time and at the right place. So today we have the story of Private First Class William Soderman of the 9th Infantry Regiment, 2nd Infantry Division, who knocked out multiple German tanks in the opening days of the fight. Now, the opening attack on 16 December came across a wide front, and it caused a little bit of confusion in the Allied ranks. It really came down to the fact that the Allies didn't know the Germans had this in them. They didn't know they had this capacity to strike back at this point in the war. It surprised a lot of people. So while this attack really stretched 80 to 100 miles across the front, it took a while for that information to kind of be gathered and analyzed and for the Allied High Command to recognize, wait a minute, this is serious. It's happening all up and down the lines. It's not one breakthrough here and one breakthrough there. It's an organized effort. Now, in combat, in war, there's multiple objectives at any given point. It's not always as simple as hold the line. Don't give up a foot of ground, right? When we think about World War I, that's often something, at least I think about, is you've got to hold that position. You can move forward, but for God's sake, don't lose a foot. There's plenty of times where it makes sense to fall back, to reinforce another area or to find a spot that's maybe better defensible. Think Guadalcanal. The series that we just spent a little bit of time on on the show, Guadal- the, the lines of Guadalcanal stretched a couple miles in every direction around the key terrain of Henderson Field, Henderson Airfield. That was what the Allies needed. That's what the Americans needed at Guadalcanal. They, you know, for best practices for uh, to better defend the airfield, they weren't sitting right on top of it to defend it. They pushed their lines out east, south, and west. But technically, they could have fallen back in any one of those positions. I mean, if you look at the Battle of Edson's Ridge on the south, they fell back during that fight, right? They just had to hold the airfield. The key terrain, we use that term during the Battle of the Bulge, is going to be a little different. It's not an airfield. It's going to be a lot of crossroads, intersections, road intersections, that the Germans are going to need if they want to maintain the timetable of their attack. If you remember from our last show, Hitler said four days, or some of the planning called for four days, to get to Antwerp in four days. Part of that was fuel. Part of that was maintaining the element of surprise. But if you're going to do that, you got to get on the roads. You can't go cross country this whole way. Now, we knew that as well. The Allies knew that as well. And once the recognition kind of came about that this was a massive German counterattack, you started to see the Allies and the U.S. forces reconfigure a little bit and move back to better defend some of these pieces of key terrain these intersections, the areas they couldn't give up. One of those was an intersection in the town of Crinkle. We talked about it a little bit on our last episode. This was the first major intersection that the Germans would hit, kind of in the focus of their advance. You remember right in the middle, right around Crinkle, this was the shortest line of advance from the German lines to the port of Antwerp. So Hitler had some of his pristine panzer units there, some of his favorite units, I should say that were the best equipped, uh, best outfitted, best resourced, ready to go to ideally punch through in the shortest distance. 
Crinkle's going to be the first major road, inter- first major intersection they come upon there. Now, Crinkle sits about one mile back from the edge of the Ardennes forest. So as the German forces are moving through the forest, kind of unseen and, and by surprise, they're going to pop out and have about a mile to go before they hit Crinkle. Recognizing the importance of this intersection, the Allies start to reinforce there with a lot of divisions up and down the lines. This is one of many areas they would reinforce. As they're doing that, this isn't the front lines at the time, right? We still have forces set out in the Ardennes that are, at this point, 16, 17 December, being overrun, being killed, being captured. As the Allies start to set in their defense around Crinkle, they decide, the 9th Infantry decides to kick out kind of an advance guard to an area, I want to say town, I don't know if town is the right term, called Lausdell, L-A-U-S-D-E-L-L. It's just a few buildings. So if Crinkle sits one mile from the edge of the Ardennes, Lawsdale, Lawsdale is is closer to the forest. We'll say you know a quarter mile from the forest, three quarter mile from Crinkle, roughly. This is the first intersection the Germans will hit when they come out of the Ardennes. It's not much. It's like two roads. Whereas Crinkle goes in every direction. Capturing Crinkle will give the Germans the ability to move rapidly in multiple directions. Whereas this Lawsdale intersection is is kind of think of it the first time they're going to hit you know main roads maybe. So to send out that, the, the 9th Infantry decides to send out their advance guard. In that group is Private First Class William Soderman. This advance guard around Lawsdale um, is digging into new positions in the dark. They arrive on site the evening of December 17th. So the attack's been underway for a little while at this point. And remember, they're not reinforcing the front lines. They're falling back a little ways to a new, more defensible position. What that means is that as the sun is setting, as it gets dark on the 17th, these troops are digging into a new position. But as they look out into the forest, into the Ardennes, they're not only expecting German forces at any moment, they're on the lookout for friendly forces as well. So think about what that does to their mindset, looking out into the dark, dark forest. It's not just movement and you open fire. There are elements of the 2nd Infantry, the 99th Infantry Division that, again, are cut off out there that are expected to move back at any point, and they do. Throughout this fight, you would see American units, sometimes ones and twos at a time, sometimes tanks, moving back through these new American lines to, uh, to, to get out of the way of the German advance. So Soderman and his, his squad, his platoon, are set up in this position around um, Lawsdell. And it's so chaotic at this point in the fight that before long, as they're set in at night, there's a sound approaching. They hear something coming. And before they know it, Soderman and his men look up and there's a tank right in front of them. It's a German tank. The commander gives him the finger as he rolls by and doesn't even stop. I mean, remember, they're on a timetable. They got to go. And I, I got to think to the, the German tank commander looking down, I think it was four or five tanks, so close to the American soldiers, it splashed them with mud, but they didn't even stop. They just kept rolling. There were reports in this incident that the German soldiers were talking like the war was won, very confident, not recognizing that they had just accidentally stepped into, you know, right in the middle of an American battalion. But it shows how far out this advance guard was and how confident the Germans were very early in this attack. Rightfully so. They were seeing a lot of success. 
in this first incursion here around Lawsdale, there's not a shot fired. The GIs, the American GIs are surprised. I want to say as surprised as the Germans, but kind of a weird interaction in war. They both kind of go on their own different directions and, and continue to fight in another location. The Americans aren't going to let that happen again. So Soderman and his team start laying mines across the road to make sure the next tanks that come through stop or are destroyed. In the process, as those mines are being laid, Soderman takes it upon himself. He picks up a bazooka, multiple rockets for the bazooka, grenades, and his rifle and heads out into the woods. His plan is to get a little ways ahead of this intersection. So as the Germans are nearing the intersection and kind of eyeing that, he can step out from a concealed position fire into the tank, destroying one, two, three, whatever might be possible. Essentially, they're not going to be looking at him. They're going to be looking at the American positions by the intersection. Before long, the first tank comes into sight. Again, this is as the sun is setting the evening of the 17th. The first German tank comes into sight. Soderman steps out at close range. And when I say close range, I mean about 15 feet. Fires the bazooka at point blank range. Destroying one of the tanks, but again, timetables. Before he can even reload, the rest of the tanks continue their push further through the American lines. It's crazy to think about that. It's just go, go, go. You know, bazooka knocks out one. Doesn't matter. Keep going. Soderman will stay in this forward position all night. There, it's not quiet. There's enemy machine gun fire constantly. There is artillery and mortar fire raining down on he and his buddies throughout the night, but he holds, recognizing that this position he's in could absolutely help the Allied effort as they try to hold Crinkle. Just as dawn approaches, he starts to see more tanks coming in his direction. Now, this area has some, not the hedgerows we would see in France, but something similar, enough to where he can kind of take cover and and move around a little bit without being seen by the tank. So he uses these, we'll call them hedgerows, to his advantage. He moves around, loads a second rocket, and as the tank starts to pull into position, as the tank approaches his position, he jumps out in the middle of the road, fires again, point blank, knocks out the lead tank. One soldier knocks out the lead tank. The rest have to withdraw because now the road is blocked and they can't get around. One soldier did that, William Soderman. Stopped an entire column of tanks with one shot from his bazooka. At this point, he's still running around the battlefield and has to make his way back to his men, back to his lines. Remember, he moved a little bit out of the way to get to the spot to knock out this second tank. As he's doing that, again, bazooka, grenades, rifle, he comes across a group of German infantry, about a platoon-sized element of German infantry. So he takes his bazooka fires into that element, kills at least three, wounds a handful more, and forces them to withdraw. It's a one-man wrecking show here. Soderman at the Battle of the Bulge. Now, not long after, as was expected, Soderman and his company are ordered to withdraw, move back to Crinkle. Remember, this this wasn't the line. They weren't going to stay up here Lawsdell forever. They were going to you know, maybe screen, maybe knock out a few tanks like Soderman has done, and before long, move back and tie in with the rest of their regiment and the rest of their division. At any point in a fight, withdrawing can be dangerous. Think about it. You're turning your back, you're giving up cover, you're moving back. That's often a time where troops can be slaughtered, be easy targets. 
Soderman recognizes this, and as they start to move back, he hears tanks coming in the distance. That's going to be a problem. If his company is trying to withdraw right as German tanks exit the forest and see this group of American infantry in the open, they could kill them all. So Soderman takes it on himself once more, grabs the bazooka again, reloads, and moves forward until he finds a position where that tank, when it exits the forest, is going to enter into his field of fire. As soon as he, as soon as the tank pulls out, Soderman fires again, incredibly, incredibly close range, knocks out the tank, his third in 24 hours, and turns to leave. Now, at this point, it had to happen eventually. Soderman's luck runs out, and one of the other tanks opens fire with its machine gun, severely wounding Soderman in the shoulder. He's knocked down, but he's not out. He starts to crawl back to the American lines, makes it, is treated for his wounds, evacuated, and would survive the war. And for single-handedly knocking out three German tanks in the opening stages of the Battle of the Bulge, Private First Class William Soderman would be awarded the Medal of Honor in 1945. Hey, thanks for listening to War Stories. If you get a chance, it'd mean an awful lot if you could head over to Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a review. It helps others to, to find the show. But thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.